I have had a ton of family and friends who are like, oh, real estate's not, not great. You know, they had one bad interaction. Don't let people derail your vision and your dreams and take action. Welcome to the Real Estate Monopoly podcast. My name is Kerwin Donis. My brothers and I got into real estate investing to achieve financial freedom and help underserved communities in Guatemala, where our mom is from. Real estate is the vehicle we're taking to achieve our goals. And you can too. On this show, we share the stories of some of the most successful real estate investors to show you that you can succeed in real estate just like they have. Each episode, we deliver inspiring and educational content that will empower you to launch your real estate investing career and achieve your financial goals. Let's go. George O'Brien is the CEO of Progressive Property Investments. The company focuses on markets near the Pittsburgh area. George and his team put their attention not only on investors, but also the contractors, vendors, and community leaders. George is passionate about building strong communities. George was in the YMCA movement before he started in real estate. Real estate was a means for him to reach financial freedom and change his family's financial tree. Grew up in South Central PA, and I grew up in you know no collar family, you know a family of farmers and construction workers, and you know I was one of the first in my family to go off to college. And uh, you know, growing up, uh, you know I was involved in all the different trades. My grandfather was an electrician. My father worked in you know concrete and mason, you know blacktop. Um, mason, I, and mason tended as a kid, so I learned all those trades uh, at, at a young age, and always liked physical buildings and painting and doing those sorts of things. Uh, I like to work with my hands. Um, fast forward in college, I did a lot of landscaping, you know, like many college kids on their summer vacations and, and what have you. Uh, uh, after grad school, uh, I uh, was a foreman for a construction company, uh, which, you know, gave me a lot of experience in the real estate market. Uh, and, um, you know, you know, like everybody was told when you're a kid, you know, to be financially responsible, you go to college, you get a good job, you get a house, right? And that's what I did. And it was a single family. I still own it today. It's, um, I had a couple of friends move in. I'm like, they're all paying me rent. I'm like, well, they're paying me rent. It's covering my mortgage. You know, obviously I didn't put it towards it. You know, it was more, more fun money, um, but it, it gave me a, an experience. Um, fast forward, uh, we bought a foreclosure a few years later and we decided to keep that place because that's when the great uh, uh, the, uh, recession hit and the property, you know, I couldn't sell it because I'd lose money. So I kept it as a rental. And I'm like, well, this is great. Started learning about depreciation from our tax accountant. And uh, realizing, you know, there's a lot of opportunities in real estate. And um, my wife and I both who are highly educated, both, you know, postgraduate degrees. And uh, we are having like, a, you know, like a lot of folks that probably listen to this podcast, you know, you, you, you get to the end of the month, and you're like, where'd all the money go? How are we supposed to go on vacation? How are we going to, ha- you know, raise money to, fi- you know, um, fix up the kitchen? And I said, enough already. I'm not going to focus on worrying about the expenses anymore. Let's focus on how- ways we can generate more income. So we pulled a line of credit on our home and use that money to start buying multifamily. I educated myself, mowing the grass, taking the kids to school, what have you. Uh, we listened to podcasts like, your, like yours. I got inspired. Um, I followed up with more research. And we went and bought three duplexes in a period of six months. Uh, most of them were distressed and I needed to work with them, fix them up. And um, I, got real, I was real good at it. And I really liked working with the tenants at the time. And uh, so, you know, fast forward four years later, we have 400, man- 400 units under management and about 300 of, 300 of those we own. Transitioning into multifamily allowed George to mitigate the risk of a non-performing resident. 
because of the economies of scale that apartments offered, he gradually made his way to larger properties. The single families, you know, I, I had some of those pains where, you know, I, I ended up having kept both those homes in South Central Pennsylvania. I, I moved three hours away and I said, listen, if we can, you know, keep good tenants in there and I don't, you know, haven't even met some of them, you know, I'm in a pretty good spot. I think I can, I can do this. I had one tenant that missed a couple months rent and I'll end up paying, paying the mortgage still. And even though I pulled the money out of my own pocket. So I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to have a bunch, a bunch more single families. So that's where I really know I wanted to get into multis. Cause again, if you have a duplex, you know, one person doesn't pay, one person does pay that person that pays essentially pays a mortgage and then sell, you know, and then you rinse and repeat. So not really, again, I, I kind of gravitated towards that, uh, you know, after doing some research and listening to some podcasts, um, and, you know, smaller duplexes really the only um, what was available to me at the time. It took me about a year and a half to, you know, really get into a, a larger, which is only a five and, and then a 16 unit. Um, but no, no real, no real concerns. I, that's, I knew that that was my niche and that's what I wanted to get into. The barrier was, you know, we only had $100,000 and I couldn't do much with $100,000 if I went and bought a 20 unit apartment building. You know, that wouldn't have been enough. So the 100000 with, um, you know, six units. Three, three different duplexes, that was my, I knew that was my way in. And that's sometimes how people have to get in is just some of those smallers that eventually add up to a lot more units. To generate lead flow, George worked directly with brokers. He gave them his clear investment criteria and by cultivating strong relationships within his market, he was able to take advantage of the opportunities there. They were all in the MLS. You know, I had a really good relationship with the, my real estate agent who helped me find my primary residence there in Western Pennsylvania and sat, her, sat down and explained to, explained to her our goals and asked her if she was willing to help us you know, achieve those. Um, and I was buying things that people weren't interested in, buying places that were, you know, highly distressed, you know, not me, mostly cosmetic, not, you know, nothing major like roofs and, you know, sometimes furnaces, but, you know, I was getting in and I got into the market before anybody else did. It was in, it was a lot of gentrification. You know, people were kind of, um, turned off by the area we were investing in. Uh, I've seen, I saw the vision, you know, I really uh, out in front of where most people are now the market, I was buying places for $35,000 a door uh, at the high end. And now you're buying them at $75,000 a door four years later. When George was starting out, he was focused on generating more income for his family. But over time, his goals have evolved as he's progressed along his real estate journey. Initially, the goal was just to get into the business uh, to generate more income for our family. I have to sit with my wife every month in that painful budget conversation. Hey, did you, do we need this or was this more of a want? And, uh, you know, there, there, there's some painful conversations. But, you know, initially got, you know, we just wanted our foot in the door, wanted to learn from it. Uh, I got, got the itch because, again, I've seen the befores and afters and I was able to, you know, work with people and, and get them a quality home, which was, was really great. One thing I improved something and improved my balance sheet. And then also I get to work with people and provide people really safe, affordable homes. Um, and the cash flow is great. And then we just wanted to grow, grow, grow. And, but at the same time, we wanted to be financially free, but I was never at home to be with my family. Cause I was working my full-time job. I was out working at the jobs. I got to the point where I wasn't necessarily turning wrenches and, you know, I'm painting the walls, but I was hiring guys to do it. I was running materials. And I said, listen, I'm, this is another job for me. So we got to the point where the 88 units was what I knew I needed to make in property management income in order to hire a full-time operations coordinator to work 
in the business where I could move myself out of it. I could still work, do this, do, you know, do payroll, pay the investors, pay our vendors, et cetera, but have somebody actually there with the guys, turning wrenches, running materials and what have you. And then from there, it just gradually improved and changed as far as the goals go. At first, George had some concerns with finding a partner. He'd been used to doing everything on his own, but he knew he had to team up with others to do his first multifamily deal. First properties we were buying in the spring of 2016, uh, we were doing really well, my wife and, my, and myself, you know, only. And then uh, fast forward to summer of 17, um, a five unit came up and I didn't have enough capital to take down the deal, the 20% down. So I had to ask a former colleague of mine at the YMCA who, you know, him and I have talked shop and real estate and we were going to flip houses, uh, but there was a bond, a relationship there. I asked if he was interested in getting involved and, and he brought in a partner that I didn't know. Um, and, you know, at the time I, my realtor asked, Hey, you know, why would you, you know, get into a, a partnership? And I said, listen, I'd rather have a percentage of something than a hundred percent of nothing. Um, it worked out, you know, uh, for a number of years, we bought uh, a total of uh, 11 units uh, in that LLC. And then that whole year, and then, and then since, I've formed probably 10 different LLCs with different investors. Uh, I always tell people like yourself and the people listening to this podcast and other people that reach out to me for advice is be very careful with partnerships. They're very similar to marriages. They're very easy to get involved into, but very uh, expensive to get out of. You know, so just be very, very mindful of that. Um, I still, you know, we still buy some stuff, just my wife and I, but most of our stuff, I'd say 90% of the things we're purchasing now is with partners. Um, we've, you know, it, it takes a good bit for me to get into a partnership now. I want to be able to make sure, you know, I can talk to this person. Uh, I enjoy talking to this person because when you get into a partnership, you know, there's a lot of interactions, whether it's over the phone and in person um, and, and or, you know, in my case, remotely now. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody has to bring something to the table. You can't have dead weight. Uh, you need to have somebody that either they bring the money or they have the balance sheet. They're going to do X, Y, and Z, you know, and we all kind of pitch in, in those different aspects. Rather than doing syndications, George is building his portfolio through joint ventures. We haven't, haven't had a need for any syndication. Everything we've done has been, you know, joint ventures. Um, that's something I definitely would like to get, get involved in. But we're, um, you know, we're buying several hundred units a month. Then it's all a joint venture right now, myself and our partners. We're using some, um, you know, some debt investors uh, for, for a lot of our deals. But for the most part, it's uh, all of our money or money that we have um, built relationships with. The first large multifamily property George did was a 51-unit portfolio. He found the deal through a realtor who he'd worked with in the past. So a 51-unit portfolio, um, about 40 minutes from our, our normal area in Western Pennsylvania, uh, which is uh, our home base is in Greensburg. It's uh, 30 minutes outside of Pittsburgh. Um, it's the, the, the county seat uh, for Westmoreland County. But my realtor, the same realtor that helped me find my primary residence back in 16, uh, helped me with some small, you know, multis, um, her financial planner. Uh, brought her this portfolio of 51 units. So the, the gentleman that had it, you know, had passed away and his family was, you know, looking to get rid of it. And um, I had the resources to take the deal down myself, um, but I had two individuals that, you know, I had a, a good relationship with, was passionate about getting involved in a deal and we weren't able to find a deal just that made sense yet. But I brought them into that. Um, we took that deal, deal down 
Um, the numbers, the income approach, said the property, you know, could have been that old normal ratio that we expect, like a one point eight million offer. We came in at one point one, and we 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 settled at like one point one five, and the property appraised for one point five. So we we made it. It was a heck of a deal. Um, and mostly smaller, like there's an eight unit apartment building, a lot of duplexes, a couple quads, but a nice portfolio, strong performing asset in a, in a market that we weren't in before. And now, uh, we're starting to take down more, more units in that market. And also between that market and our home turf in, in, uh, Greensburg. But again, just that example was I brought these two guys in mm-hmm. and now, um, the one gentleman, um, brought a 24 unit to, to the group. Mm-hmm. So we bought another 24 off market deal. Uh, that same individual brought me a 21 unit deal that him and I are partnering together on. Um, the gentleman uh, on the other side of the of that deal, he he now has been involved in a mobile home park, um, an RV park, and uh, eight units in, in uh, St. Augustine, Florida. So yeah. again, I brought him into a deal just because I thought it was the right thing to do because we with I thought it was going to be good synergy and you know good partnership. And then since then. We've grown up our portfolios by three times. The people on your team are important in every real estate asset class. George met his joint venture partners by attending real estate meetups and putting himself out there. Uh, a little bit of both, you know, uh, the, the the investor that I'm probably working with the most right now, I met him at a, a real estate you know, meetup group in, in Western PA. Uh, at first he uh, had me manage his own, uh, his own, his units. Uh, started small with uh, a total of four, and then he ended up giving me his whole portfolio of 49 others. And from that interaction, he seen what I was able to do. I seen what he was able to do. Um, so that's one. The other one I met at a big boot camp down in Baltimore a few years ago. And then since it's been them introducing me to people, me introducing them to folks that I've met in pre- previous interactions at my, you know, my W2 career. And, um, people listen to the podcast and they hear me and see me on the podcast. Um, there's a lot of content out there and, you know, I'm humanized myself a little bit because I start small with like so many investors. They, a lot of investors want to get in and they want to see their property. They want to touch it. They want to drive by it. They want to, they know they want to start with just themselves. So that's kind of how I started. And, you know, I didn't buy a 400 unit apartment building. I bought a duplex here, a four unit here and a duplex here, another four unit, 16 unit. So people see that's more of a sustainable growth model for them. So then they reach out to me and we have just conversations that provide some support if they ask. And then from there, if they feel that they would like to uh, work with us, uh, build a relationship, we've been able to do that as well. George has built relationships with the partners who he has worked with on deals. He makes sure that every member of his team is on the same page so they can work together to operate the property smoothly. No, again, because they, they, they relationships kind of grew organically, you know, meeting them. I'm, I'm kind of old school, you know, meet somebody, shake their hand, pre, you know, pre-COVID. Um, and that's how, you know, that's how I really been, you know, since then it's been, hey, I know them. I've been in a relationship with them as we grow and we're, you know, we're looking to grow into some larger asset classes or larger buildings. Um, we're going to have to look into, into that. A couple of things. One is just make sure that uh, everybody has a very clear understanding of what that asset's going to look like, what type of tenant base you're going to have, uh, what kind of improvements you're going to make, um, just so because everybody's on the same page, make sure you have it in your operating agreement. I see a lot of folks, uh, and it happened with me, um, you know, they end up doing a lot of the work themselves, and they're not compensated for that. And the other person 
has an equal share of the, the asset, but they're not doing any of the work. So in your operating agreement, you should have documentation in there of like what you should be paid uh, to work on that, that asset if you're physically doing something like that. Uh, and the other piece I would say is do your best to stay away from working with family. Um, that could be, it could be a, a blessing. It really can, but it also causes some problems. And I, I've dealt with that, you know, on a very, very small scale, but it is, it is a pain, uh, pain point you know, that if you're not careful, it could really divide a family and that's not what you want. It's important for every member on a team to bring some sort of value. On a joint venture team, there are multiple roles that need to be filled and each member plays an important part in the asset success. You know, who's going to manage the asset? You know, yeah. are you going to hire a third party or does somebody actually boots on the ground someone that can be there to do that? Um, if you're hiring a third party management, who's going to manage that manager? You know, because again, if you're going, you know, uh, let's say uh, uh, three partners, you know, all three don't need to manage that property manager. There should be one person. Someone that's good with accounting, you know, or have somebody that's going to do that. Someone that understands the law, I can do a lot of your legal work or know that you have to pay for someone to, to do those things. Um, from a skill set standpoint, you know, my most successful partnerships are ones that everybody has a little bit of knowledge in everything, but we identify and we understand that we all don't need to have our hands in it. I'm going to go over here and take X, Y, and Z. He's going to do, you know, W and this one over here is going to do A, B, and C. And we all work together collectively and we all come back and we communicate really well. I think communication is probably the most important thing. You got to have good communicators as part of your team, because if you're going to get into it, like I am, and I'm sure you and your brothers are, you want to get into it full throttle, both feet in and you want to go and you can't be pulling anybody along and wait for them to respond to things. Everybody has to be on the same page and work at the same speed. No, and I think that's a great point. Um, and so I'm just curious, are you guys all typically bringing money to the table to raise on the, to raise on these deals or um, is there one person that's kind of assigned that role? Yeah, both. Um, we've had some where, you know, one guy might be a little short, you know, that depending on other uh, closings he or she might have. Um, so like we would put in, you know, put that money up. But the one thing that we do is we just document that uh, in our balance sheet. And then, you know, um, he either gives us money back for, per se uh, to get us all equal. Or when we start doing distributions, those folks get their money back first. And then that person gets theirs last. George chose to vertically integrate property management into his business model. Due to his experience with property management, it made sense for him to do this. Yeah, I had some experience in construction. Um, early on, I was doing a lot of work myself. I wanted to create a layer of liability um, from the, me as the owner and to the tenants. So I created progressive property investments to do that. But also it was important as you start getting into partnerships and that some of the partners aren't active so PPI then was hired to do the work. Therefore, then while I'm doing the work, I get compensated for it. Um, it's a way, it was just a, a cleaner way for, um, for me to be compensated for my time. Yeah. And it's, I never thought in a million years getting into real estate would lead me to uh, a very, very successful property management company. Um, but it has, you know, we're growing probably by 60, 70 units a month in management. Uh, again, mostly of most of our stuff. Um, but again, we are, we work with, uh, uh, 11 different investors managing their assets. Some that just have a single family house, majority of them have, you know, eight, 10 duplexes and people from, from the Pittsburgh market are hearing about us and they're coming out and buying 36 units, 48 units, and they're hiring us to do the management for that. So having property management in-house allows investors to have more control over the asset 
George appreciates the ability to manage expenses, which play a key role in the NOI and overall value of the property. We treat our properties like we, you know, uh, we treat all of our properties the same, whether we own them or not. Um, and, and it's nice that I know exactly what kind of work's being done. I see on the back end what we're paying our vendors, what we're, you know, what our vendors are charging us. It gives us a lot of bargaining power because we have so many units so we can really, one, we get great, great support and very timely support. We pay our guys on time, but we also get really fantastic rates, both for work orders and repairs, but also for uh, large capital improvements, uh, which really helps the bottom line across the board. For his own portfolio, George has certain investment criteria, and he looks in certain markets that make sense to him. Florida market's hot. You know, everybody wants to be in Florida. I'm here now in Florida. So, you know, it'd be ideal to have uh, places here. Uh, the money just it, that doesn't make as much sense as up in the Northeast. Um, you know, the Northeast, there's some risk there. It's not, it doesn't check all the boxes that the typical um, sophisticated investor is going to look at because of the population decline and, some, you know, the job growth uh, being flat. Um, but the numbers are fantastic. You know, we're getting two to one ratios up there. Um, crazy cash flow. Um, you know, a, du a duplex typically is generating uh, $800 to $1,000 in, in cash flow for, uh, for a duplex, you know, and it's, you know, you, you multiply that by 300 units, you're, you're talking pretty significant returns. Um, so we're um, extremely passionate about the Northeast, Ohio, um, and, and Pennsylvania. Many people are on the sidelines right now, not looking for deals. But investors like George are always looking for opportunities. Here's why. Always, you gotta, you gotta look. And you know, again, the, the paralysis by analysis. You, you, you can't, you can't. People go to ask me all the time, "How'd you get to 400 units, one duplex at a time?" You're like, you, you, you just gotta go. Like right now, like, oh, I'm not gonna buy anything in Greensburg because it's seventy-five thousand dollars per door. Well, people are paying that. And if I want to continue to, and the returns are still strong. They're never going back to $35,000 a door. So to wait is just silly. Florida right now, everybody's like, well, I'm going to wait. Oh, I'm going to wait to buy. It's, oh, it's going to continue to go up. Now, your single family, if we have a recession or a correction, you might see some changes there. You, again, might see some of these uh, uh, syndicators that bought these larger multifamilies and overpaid for them. You might see some, um, some failures there. It might be opportunities to come in and get those. But I, I, I doubt it. <laughs> You know, I doubt those things are happening. And, and so we're, we're just, we continue to buy. When you're looking to outsource property management, there are some things to keep in mind. Due to his experience with property management, George knows what to consider when hunting for a good property management company. Look at their infrastructure. What kind of support do they have? You know, you don't want somebody that, that can't, you know, can't perform the duties of property manager on your property. You don't want, uh, you don't want to be an afterthought. Um, you know, if they, if they're managing their own things and then they also have a few for other investors, uh, typically you want to see, <coughs> excuse me, um, you know, one full-time employee for every 80 to 90 units, uh, depending on the asset class and where they're located. Um, look at their, um, operating system. What's their operating system look like? How easily can you get the, the reports that you need? Can you get that real time? You have to wait. Um, Ask them for references, um, both from other investors, uh, maybe even a couple of tenants. Um, Google reviews are fine to, to look at, but a lot of times the Google reviews are from the tenants 
And you know how tenants are if they're not happy with property management because they're they don't believe their security deposit was accurate or we're not you know fixed uh, changing light bulb on a Saturday night for them until Monday. You know, like they can get on there and post reviews. We had somebody that vetted us and actually looked at our Google reviews and said we like the fact that somebody three you know. Um, had a negative comment, but then you responded to it because if everything was perfect, you know, and you're, you're catering to the tenant, which, you know, there are customers, but we're also, you know, customers of the, of uh, the, the investors are our customers as well. So we just got to be sensitive to that. You got to balance that. Uh, call the local municipality, uh, the zoning office to find out about them because a lot of times the zoning office will know if they're a good property manager, do they take care of their properties? You know, do they, do they vet good tenants? Is there any issues with some of their managed properties? Um, I think those couple of things, talk to another investor, talk to maybe a couple of tenants, but be careful of that. Um, and also to talk to local municipalities, the planning and zoning offices. When he was starting out, George was hesitant to partner with others and was focused on saving money. In hindsight, there are some things he would have done differently. Yeah, I mean, early on, I, you know, I was, you know, I'm very operationally focused. Um, again, early mindset was, you know, focus on uh, getting things cheaper, um, but it caused me a lot more work. Um, so again, property management side of it was, you know, op- you know, implementing a, a key system, a master key system, and we now have a box that's full of keys to all of our properties, and we we they're somewhat organized, but early on, it should have went with a master lock system master key system. Um, I would have done partnerships a lot sooner. You know, we, we could have scaled a lot quicker than what we, we have. And we, we've grown very quickly, um, but I would probably would have, you know, brought on more partners earlier on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, the other one was appliances, as silly as it sounds, you know, was going on Craigslist and, you know, a Facebook marketplace and, and finding used appliances, driving around, picking them up, bringing them back, cleaning them up, plugging them in, and then half of them not working. Where early on, I should have just bought brand new, been done with it. Don't count, don't count the pennies, focus on the dollars and really to, to scale. Wasted a lot of time doing that where I could have you know, better used my time elsewhere. Today, George has built a great team that prioritizes the performance of their properties and takes care of the people who live there. George is now looking to scale his business while maintaining balance in his life. Yeah, I think it's a great success. You know, we, um, you know, we have really strong employees. We have contractors that we've been working with for a number of years. We really focus on, on our people. Uh, so we're excited for that. Uh, from a performance standpoint, the numbers are, are, are very solid. Um, you know, one thing that, that's, you know, really important for me now is scaling, making sure I'm not putting too much on, on our people and in, in the property management and also myself. It's a work-life balance. You know, you really got to be careful. Don't keep, you know, keep driving yourself into the ground. Um, you know, my children are, are very young, you know, five, seven and, and nine, and they're never going to be five, seven and nine again. You know, so really make sure we focus on our families and because that's why we're really into this. We want to, you know, a legacy for our, our children and our grandchildren. And if you don't spend time now with them, you're never, you know, you're not going to get it back. And, and what's all the work, work worth? Um, so really, it's just focusing on our, on our people and our families and making sure that uh, as we grow, we have an, the right number of people in place. So that way I can have a good work-life balance as well as everybody on our team. Many people dream of quitting their job. For George, real estate allowed him to leave his job and build a life that gave him the flexibility he desired. Four years after we bought our first multifamily, um, we were able to do that. I felt, uh, one, it was time for the, that organization to have you know, fresh leadership. And I was also 
more passionate about real estate at that point. And I also felt that I was uh, leaving a lot of money on the table um, uh, in real estate because I just didn't have enough time to do everything I needed to do. We were very reactionary in our management. Um, I wasn't looking at off-market deals. So I was, if anything came on MLS or was referred to me, I was taking it down. But I wasn't, you know, didn't have time to source those those things, so, which we which we do now. Um, real estate has allowed us to do just about anything we wanted. You know, we uh, always used to go to um, the Jersey Shore for our vacation, and uh, the kids always loved the beach. And it was, you know, that ninth, tenth day when you're leaving, you're like, oh, I'll be back here a year from now, fifty one weeks from now. And I hated that feeling. And we knew we wanted to live in the South. We knew we wanted to live close to the beach, and um, Three years ago, I changed my screen screensaver to my children playing at the beach to motivate me every day to strive towards that. And uh, we re- relocated our entire family to Florida. Um, and we're three, three lots back from the beach, 51 steps. Uh, and we can go to the beach as much as we like. Uh, my children are in a great school system here. Real estate's allowed me to have the work-life balance and live where I want. Um, I never, we never would have been here if it wasn't for real estate. Um, it can really, really change, change your life. And I work when I want, how I want. My kids get home at three o'clock, nine, you know, nine times out of 10, I stop what I'm doing. I play with them until late evening. If I want to work at night, I can work at night. If I don't, I won't. And that's the great thing. In the future, George plans to continue buying properties. He's also considering expanding his business into different real estate asset classes. We'd love to have, you know, continue to buy real estate and where it makes sense and, and, and different markets. Uh, I'd love to get into different asset classes. You know, uh, one of my partners is, you know, really um, getting involved in our RV parks. So I'd like to learn a little bit more about that asset class. He's, he's brought me into a deal where I'm going to uh, manage the property and that's part of my equity piece. So I'm excited for that. And, um, you know, from a, from a property management company standpoint, we'd love to get to the point where we have, you know, different franchises throughout the throughout the country um, that we can uh, teach individuals that um, want to have real estate, want to be property in, involved in property management, uh, and teach them our systems, and uh, you know, have uh, PPI, progressive property investments, in multiple cities across the state. Setting goals is a major step to success in real estate, but the next step is to act on them. Just take action have a goal. If you're, if you're with somebody, you have a, sig- a significant other, make sure they're bought into the, the vision as well. Uh, I think that's really important um, um, for people's success is making sure that their partners are also aligned with the vision. Um, and don't listen to naysayers. I have had a ton of family and friends were like, oh, real estate's not, not great. You know, they had one bad interaction. Um, don't let people derail your vision and your dreams and take action. Educate yourself, listen to podcasts, do some research on your own, talk to your CPA, talk to a, an accountant, and just get one, then get two, and just keep going. Just keep working, keep hustling, but you take action. Talk to people like yourself or talk to people like me, because um, we're here, we want to help, and uh, just make it happen. To get in touch with George or learn more about him, here's where you can go. Progressivepropertyinvestments.com. Uh, Progressivepropertyinvestments.com. We have a Facebook page. Uh, website um, and uh, all of our contact information is on there. And I'm happy to meet with people for 30 minutes, just ask them what they're up to. Um, 
that's pretty much how we've gotten all of our investors, our third-party investors. So, you know, they've, they've heard about us, they read about us, and uh, we just have a phone conversation. If I can help them, great. Um, most nine times out of 10, uh, the relationship, that call leads to another call and then to another call. And eventually we either decide to work together or they've got their research and the things that they need and they go on their way and it works out great for everybody. Thank you for joining us today on the Real Estate Monopoly podcast. If you got value from this episode, please do us a favor and give us a good rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Make sure to visit our website at www.donisinvestmentgroup.com backslash monopoly, where you can subscribe to our newsletter so you'll never miss a show. If you want to avoid the top five mistakes passive investors make, you can also check out our free ebook by going to www.donisinvestmentgroup.com and downloading it. Be sure to tune in to our next episode. Until then, take care, guys. Bye.